this morning from the 16th chapter of John, the last remaining section there, but I'm going to preach Psalm 62, and I'll show you the connection I've made. Uh, It's probably not the connection John was making, but uh, that's okay. I think it will fit the purpose today. Uh, In John 16, uh, verses 29 through 33, I read that, and we'll come back and do something with this again next week. Uh, But I'm going to depart from here and go to Psalm 62 after we read. He says, His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things, and you do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming... Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Then here's the statement that Jesus makes. Yet I am not alone. Why? Because or for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I'll try not to be hung up here too long, but I want to remind you the situation of the cross. And at the deepest and darkest moment of our Lord, everybody leaves. No friends. Nobody to sympathize, nobody to comfort, everybody leaves. And even the voice in the background is, I do not know the man, I do not know the man, I do not know him. Even the closest ones, denying they even have any relationship with him. In that type of situation, if you, you, no, you, or I are in that situation, we're like, poor me. Everybody's left me. Everybody's departed. Nobody cares. Nobody loves. Nobody appreciates me. That's the kind of statements we make. But in that context, Jesus says, Yet I am not alone. Not to make a phrase more than what it is, but I think there's validity to this statement. You need to learn how to preach to yourself. And when I say preach to yourself, I'm not talking about some weird off-the-wall emotionalism. I'm talking about taking the Bible for what it says and preaching that to your own heart. In whatever the situation is, if everybody turns their back on you, for you to take and say, but this is what the Bible says, and say that to yourself. And let the Bible, as it's preached to yourself, minister to your heart. So, Psalm 62, as you're turning there, I do not think John is making an allusion to Psalm 62. I don't think there's really formally any connection other than the word alone. And that is what we're speaking of today. Psalm 62, written by David, there is no request, there is no prayer, There's no asking for anything in this entire chapter. There are clear three stanzas, all marked by the Selah. So you get one through four, five through 
8 and 9 through 12, three easily dividable sections. But all of this psalm is a resolved, clear proclamation to oneself as to what is true. Okay? And so we need psalms like this in the midst of the world in which we live. So let's read the psalm and then we'll, hopefully the Lord will help us to see today. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Say, la. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Those of lowest state are, and the ESV has the word but, but it's the Hebrew word again for only or alone. So we could read, those of lowest state are only a breath. Those of highest state are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power, all power by the way, belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. Now, a very light introduction, or at least short in this regard, but just to kind of set some things before you, that's just the makeup of humanity and what we deal with and some of us have gone through, but many people today individual Christians and the non-Christian world, I'm sure, but the general mass of humanity plagued with the thought of being alone. Now, some of you are young, you don't think this way, but as you get older, you will. The thought of being in a nursing home brings fear. The thought of being in a hospital in COVID and nobody can visit brings fear. I'm alone. I'm forgotten. I'm left. There are people in nursing homes right now that feel abandoned by everybody they know. The world, I'm of no use to anybody because I'm old. People say things like that, and they really feel those type of things. And so it can happen to the elderly, but it can also happen to the teenager in school who all his friends turn against him and won't stand by his side. It happens in all types of different formats, but the idea of being alone breeds the thought that no one cares, no one loves, no one's concerned about me. I, I realize these statements are internal and looking in the mirror talking, but also know we have them. 
And we have those type of thoughts. We feel forgotten, uncared for, unloved. The line of people looking for and listening to TV psychologists is long. Listening to the therapist, the self-help gurus. Do these three things and feel better about your life. Do these six things and have more happiness. We have lines lined up for the Christian counselors. Even pay big money for Christian counseling. I know people that go to marriage counseling and pay up to $100 an hour, and they would do that far quicker than they'll go to their pastor who loves them and let him give them counsel for free. They'll pay the professional because the professional might know more. And, and any voice that will help them to get them out of depression they're listening to all of those voices. I, I need some help because of this black cloud. For many, once all the voices die out and they've sought all the helps and there's been no help, they turn to the vices of the world. And the world offers many different vices. It's big business, by the way. A lot of money's involved. And if you get into the psychotropic drugs, you get into a whole other framework of money there. And all the pill pushers that will push pills on you to deal with all the letters of the alphabet that they apply to your kids and apply to adults. And so since you have this letter and this letter and A and D and P and Q, take this pill and that pill and the other pill. And this stuff is a massive market out there. And they'll feed that to you in order for you to be able to deal with life. Agree or disagree, I'm just telling you, it's this common norm of today. You're depressed? Here's a pill. You're depressed? Listen to Dr. Phil. Peel and feel. It's a great rhyme. This is the stuff they push upon us. I just want you to understand behind this is, it's an absolute rejection of the sufficiency of the Word of God. Is the, does the Bible speak to my depression? Does the Bible speak to my aloneness? Does the Bible have anything to say for my weary, broken heart? Is there enough here to help me in the position I'm in? Or do I need the psychotropic drugs and the fields and the Oprahs to somehow help me to cope with life? It's, it's a question of sufficiency, is it not? Thousands of dollars are paid to get people out of darkness and to be moved into the sunshine of the happy life. Now, we're faced in our life as Christians with enemies, with oppositions, attacks from numerous different fronts. It's just the reality of the world that we live in. We are not immune to the reality of the struggle of life. Christians get sick. Christians die. Christians get cancer. Christians are in car wrecks. Christians are subjects to shootings in churches and get killed. And you see fellow parishioners get shot at church. We're subject to all of these types of things, just like the world is. The enemy seems at times to be big. It seems to be strong. But we need to learn somehow to preach to ourselves. The enemy is no greater than a leaning fence or a tottering wall, very unstable. We need to learn to be like David. Who are you to defy the armies of the living God, you uncircumcised Philistine? Everybody's scared. Why are they scared? He's so much smaller than God. 
In John 16, as I mentioned, Jesus is certainly being attacked. Everybody has left him. His enemies hate him. They mock him. They spit on him. They beat him. They whip him. They humiliate him by nailing him naked to a tree. His closest associates run and hide and even vehemently deny ever knowing him. He was truly at that moment a man alone in the world. My thesis, the word alone negates dependence upon everything but God. If you need a visual, you're in an airplane, you have a parachute on your back, you jump out of the plane. Your hope is in the parachute alone. If the parachute doesn't work, there's no plan B. You've put the entirety of your life in dependence upon the parachute. There's no other refuge. There's no other help. There's no other deliverance. It's you in the chute. If the chute fails, I'm dead. This is the situation of the psalmist. He's put everything wrapped up in God. If God's not enough, there's no other viable option. None. Everything is wrapped up in God. He alone is all of my hope. I have zero hope in anything else. Would you grasp that this morning? I have zero hope in the Republican Party. I have zero hope in the Democratic Party. I have zero hope in our economy. I don't have any hope in America. I'm not going to wave the flag this morning and see, sing our national anthem. I'm not doing it. I'm not opposed to it. I just don't have any hope in it. Zero. Why? Because I've wrapped up all of my hope in God. And if God is not sufficient, this country's not going to bail me out. Now, six times, it's hard to see in the English, but six times in the first nine verses, he uses the word alone. Now, it's very difficult to do so in English. I'm just telling you because it's a point of emphasis. Every line in the Hebrew text begins with the word alone. Now, in English, it doesn't work that way. It's hard. But every line of the Hebrew text, six times, alone, 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 six times with the rest of the sentence. Why does the Hebrew text put the word alone first? It's a point of emphasis, drawing your attention to this individual hope in God alone, excluding everything else. I made an attempt. uh, I will give it to you. It's very short. To translate it that way. And so let me give you these six lines. Verse 1, alone, my soul waits in silence for God. Verse 2, alone, God is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. Verse 4, alone, they try to thrust man down from his position. Verse 5, alone, for God be silent, O my soul. Verse 6, alone, God is my rock and my salvation, my refuge. Verse 9, alone, mankind is no more than a breath. You have to grab this for yourself. You've got a situation. Something's falling apart. Dire situation, depression, dark cloud. Alone, God is my trust. God is my salvation. God is my fortress. I will not be shaken. 
I have to tell myself that that's what the Bible says to me. I have to believe that because there is where I find my hope. Alone. Nowhere else is it to be found. Preserving this perspective, verses 1 through 4, the conversation is three ways. In our text, the conversation is three ways. You have these three uh, characters here. You have God, you have the psalmist, and you have the psalmist enemies, verses 1 through 4. Now, in regards to God, because it's very centered upon God, he says, my soul waits in silence. Now, we can translate from the Septuagint, and it would sound this way. Is not my soul subject to God? Is not my soul subject to God because my salvation is from Him. All I'm telling you is this idea of my soul waiting in silence, we understand I am subject under the sovereignty of God because He is the one who is my salvation. This is what this line means. I'm subject to Him. He's the power. He's the sovereign. He's the authority. He's the author, if you will, and I am subject. What does that mean? I can trust the subject. I cannot trust me. I can trust Him in whatever the situation is, and He is sufficient. I can trust Him can we say, alone. Adam Clark, an old expositor, he quotes it this way, I am subject to God Almighty. He has the right to lay on me what He pleases. And what He lays on me is much less than I deserve. Therefore, I am dumb before God. What a great statement. The silence word that is used here means to bow to the sovereignty of God, to suppress, uh-oh, it's going to challenge everybody in the room. Hey, think about it. I'm going to bow to the sovereignty of God in such a way that it suppresses every murmur of dissatisfaction. Americans spend most of their days in murmur and complaining because poor pity me. That's what we do. If we can't find something to murmur about, what do we pick on? The weather. It's hot. I get it. Move on to something else. You live here. If you don't like it hot, move to Alaska. It, it, we murmur about something. But when you come and s present yourself submitted unto God, the murmuring goes away, and you begin to learn how to praise the God who's in charge. Look, at 105 degrees, the mockingbird sits on top of the tree and sings for joy. It's because he understands God better than I do. And you have the psalmist. The psalmist in this, in this passage faces the reality of his enemies, and he resolves in the midst of his enemies to put all of his trust in God. By the way, many of our enemies, it makes up ourself and we're our own worst enemy. The psalmist may be beaten down, but he knows where to look. That's half the battle. And then thirdly, you have the psalmist's enemies. Whoever they may be, they are relentless. They never stop. 
pastor I talked to this week. Will the, will the battle ever be over? <laughs> nope. Not ever going to end until we get to glory. Not ever get to this peaceful, easy feeling where everybody gets along and everybody's happy and everything's wonderful. It's like, look, you're not going to get to a place where everybody's smoking marijuana. Right? Just kind of veg out here. No. It's always going to be difficult. We live in a fallen world. They always seek to destroy the godly. So that's who we're dealing with in this one. Now, the confidence. Now, looking at the text, the confidence, verses 1 and 2. So move somewhat quickly, but the confidence, again, I know I'm saying the same thing over, but the confidence for the psalmist is totally in God. This will help you a lot. I can save you a lot of money. You don't have to buy any psychotropic drugs if you just listen to the Bible. You do not have to pay some counselor $100 an hour to tell you how to feel better about yourself. It'll save you a lot of money. I'll give this all to you for free. You can trust God totally. He can carry you. He can comfort you. He can conform you unto the image of His Son. He can do everything that is necessary for your soul in this life and in the life to come. He can be trusted with everything you have. You can put everything you have in Him and you will never be disappointed. Why? Because He's the only rock. There is no other foundation. He's the only salvation. No one else can deliver you. No one else can set you free. There's not another. He's the only fortress. You feel afraid? You better be in these walls. This wall of God. He's the fortress. He's the defender. He defends his sheep to the nth degree. So that's why we put all of our trust there because he's the only one who's able. Remember Jeremiah in chapter 3, verse 23. This is in a different version, but... Listen to the thought of Jeremiah. We know our noisy worship of false gods on the hills and the mountains did not help us. Look, you know good and well Dr. Phil can't fix your soul. You know good and well that alcohol is not going to make your soul better. You know good and well drugs are not going to correct your soul. You know good and well all the things the world has to offer and all this noise about all these false gods has no profit for your soul, only condemnation. We know, here's what we know. Ah, that's what I want to know. What do we know? We know that the Lord our God is the only one who can deliver. That's what I know. He's the only one who has the ability to deliver me from depression. He's the only one who can deliver me from all of this anxiety I have and this poor pity me party that nobody loves me. God alone can deliver me. That's why we trust Him alone. In Psalm 121, in the great passages I read before every mission trip that we go upon, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? It's a great question. Where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I'm going to get on this plane, and I'm going to go to Veracruz, and then I'm going to go to Mexico City, and then I'm going to go to Tuxla, and we're going to go down here, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this. How are we going to make it? My help comes from the Lord. He made all of heaven, he made all of earth, and he can hold this plane up, he can crash this plane, he can do whatever he wants, but I trust him. The psalmist is very resolved, his confidence is very high. He says this, can you say this in your heart? I shall not be greatly shaken. 
I don't know what chapter and verse it is. I know it's in the Bible. I know it's in the book of Psalms. But it says this guy, he is not afraid of bad news because his heart trusts in the Lord. Whatever you tell me today, I don't fear it. Why? All of our trust is bound up in God alone. The psalmist knows this. He's very resolved. He's preaching to himself. Whatever happens with my enemies today, I will not be shaken. Watch it. Here's what happens. Tomorrow, gas price goes from $5 a gallon to $5.50 a gallon, and fear sets in. The economy does this. The stock market does this. This happens. This happens. And all, fear, anxiety, all of these things start to take hold of us. And the psalmist is going, I don't care what the economy does. I will not be shaken. I don't care what the price of the fuel is for my camel. I don't care. I'm not going to be shaken because anything I need in order to live out Christianity, my God will supply. Do we believe that as a church? And whatever happens in this godless society, as God's child, you know your Father will provide. Trust Him. I will not be shaken. You go to work and everybody's like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I don't know what you're going to do, but I know what I'm doing. Oh, what are you doing? I'm trusting God. How's that working out for you? Great. I'm 53 years old, I'm married, I've got four kids, I've got four grandkids, and I have never lacked one good thing. Ever. Never see the righteous begging for bread. Look, quote, the believer may be overthrown for a time. I get that. It's from Calvin. Maybe overthrown for a time. But as he is no sooner cast down than he is raised up again by God. Right? He cannot properly be said to fall. And he fall for a moment, but then I'm back up. Why? Because God keeps picking me up. So in that sense, I actually never do fall because my God sustains me. Christian, that's true for you. The Apostle Paul teaches us, quote, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but to rely on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us, deliver us again. On Him, we have set our hope. And what? That He will deliver us again. He did it here, 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 and here. You know what? I think He'll do it tomorrow. I'm just going to hope in God alone and no other resource and no other avenue and not looking to any other thing i'm believing that god alone is able to deliver me from whatever i'm dealing with depression enemy anxiety whatever's going on i know this much nothing the world has to offer is going to help i trust god matthew henry very short quote I may be shocked, he said. I may be shocked, but I will not be sunk. I may be shocked at what's going around me, but I will not be sunk because God will keep me afloat. Condemnation, uh, verses 3 and 4. I need to give you verse uh, 3 or 4 in the King James. That's not even the right chapter. Okay, there we go. Um, 
verse 3 reads two different ways. And so let me give you the King James Version, verse 3. How long will you imagine mischief against a man? And it puts the question mark there. And then the rest reads this way. You shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall shall you be, and as a tottering fence. So it's translated to show the instability or the frailty being upon the enemy. Whereas when you read in the ESV and other translations as well, it seems to be more on the psalmist. And so it kind of flips back and forth uh, depending on how it is translated. So I just make you aware of that. I'm taking it to be in the form of the King James and that this leaning wall and this tottering fence are in reference to the enemy. Take it however you want. That's how I'm taking it. So condemnation in verses 3 and 4, always attacked, that's the condition, the enemies are always attacking, and, and, and the psalmist is being assailed or badgered by the world. Just never stops. Situations, sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it's the society we live in. The attacks are always coming. They're attempting to batter or to murder the man. Some translations say to murder him. The world is seeking to be rid of Christianity, if you will. To just push you out completely. Silence you, put you out, annihilate you. That's the position of the world. However, keep this in mind. If we take this translation, keep this in mind. All of the world combined is no stronger than a leaning wall or a tottering fence. It's like if I just touch it, it will fall over. It has no stability whatsoever to it. All the world is in a constant, ongoing plan to thrust you down. Always pleased with falsehood and deception. Always speaking with a forked tongue. Oh, I like you, but inwardly they're cursing you. It's like, look, the, 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 the world, like let's just take the LGBTQ. Look, if you take them, they're not happy with you if you accept them and accept their lifestyle. If you disagree, like, oh, well, if that's what you want to do, that whatever works for you is fine. They're not happy with that. They want you to celebrate their lifestyle. They want, they want full dominance over you to embrace them and to publicize them and to be on the same page with them. That's their position. They're always wanting to silence Christianity. Why? They see you as the abuser and themselves as the victim. So do everything they can to put the duct tape over your mouth. That's the constant battling ram of the world upon the believer. And he says, Selah. Just think about it and let it sink in. Do we not live in the same world in the sense of what David is saying here? Every one of us. Sometimes it's a stronger degree, sometimes a lesser. It's always there. Verses 5 through 8, personal, prior, personal priority. Repetition. I don't think verses 5 and 6 are a refrain. I, not, they're not the chorus. They are a repetition for the sake of emphasis. I preached verse 1 and 2 to myself once. Now I'm going to preach it to myself again. There's not much change in the wording here. There's a little bit, but not significantly. He's repeating it. Look, I need to be told more than once that God is sufficient. 
I need to be told more than once that God is my rock and my salvation and my fortress. I need for somebody to tell me that. I need to tell myself that on a regular basis. I'm sure somebody told me when I was five years old. Maybe somebody told me when I was 10. But I needed to hear it this week on every day that ended in a Y. I need the repetition, the reminder, because when I go out there, the cacophony of voices around me all just paint a dark cloud over my head and make me want to go crawl up somewhere and hide and die. I need somehow to preach this same truth again where I can be reminded of what reality is. Like the old gospel hymn years ago, the old gospel hymn said it this way, is Philip Bliss, I think. Philip Bliss. Let's give you a first stanza. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see. Wonderful words of life. Words of life and beauty. Teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. I need this repeated. I need to hear it again and again. The attacks of the enemy caused the psalmist to make a right confession about God, his faith in God, alone. The enemy seeks to cause what? What's the enemy doing? Instability, bondage, vulnerability. You know, isn't it the world preach this vulnerability junk? Uh, You're just a circumstance of your situation. You're just a circumstance of your family, your childhood. You had a bad dad. You had a bad mom. That's the way way you are. That's what happened. You're just in this environment. If your environment was changed, you would be better. No, you have a depraved heart. Unless you repent, you're going to go to hell. It's not your environment. It's a heart issue. But the, the world preaches this stuff. And the psalmist responds to instability, bondage, and vulnerability. And this is what the psalmist says. Rock, salvation, fortress. The very opposite of what the world says is what the psalmist is preaching to himself because his trust is in God alone. Then you see this great reminder through this section 5 through 8, personal pronouns abound to the confidence of one's own soul. According to my count, 14 times he uses the word my My, 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 my God, my rock, my salvation, my fortress, my deliverer, my, my. This is a personal walk with a living God. I have to have that for stability for my own soul. Back in 2 Samuel, in chapter 22, 3, he says it like this, same thing. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. Oh, he's my God. You remember what King Saul said? Remember what he said? You're God. He said, separate from your God. David says, my God. What are you supposed to get? Receive this today in the midst of 2022 in the world and country that we live in and look into all that's going on in this country right now and be able to say, but I have a God. I have a deliverer. I have a comfort. I have a stability. I have a counselor. I have a guide. I have the Holy Spirit. I have a relationship with the divine God of all the universe. And nothing's going to befall me except what His hand lays upon me. And if He lays it upon me, I'm good with it because it's for my good. 
He says in 2 Samuel again, this God, His way, is perfect. The Word of the Lord proves true. He's a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-three. this God is my strong refuge. It's made my way blameless. Psalm 46, 1, one of my favorite chapters in all of Psalms. God is our refuge, a very present help in time of trouble. Oh no, what are you going to do? I'm going to trust God. Why would you do that? He is a very present help. When? When I'm the most troubled in my marriage, in my job, in my community, in my church, in whatever I'm going through, I have, you have a present help right now in your vicinity who's able. Does anybody in this room believe this? He's my help right now. Or as the author of Hebrews would say, Hebrews 6.18, so that by two unchangeable things, which is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge, we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. So he repeats, he reminds And he has this reassurance for us all. You see it in verse 8. And then all of that personal work there that he does in preaching to himself, when you preach to yourself rightly, then you have something to say to somebody else. So in verse 8, trust in him at all times, O people. I've preached this message to myself so long, I can't wait to tell you the truth of it. It's helped me so much, I want it to help you, because it's true. And I want you going after all this fruity stuff the world's trying to sell you in Vanity Fair. I want you to know that you can preach these realities to yourself and your soul be helped. It can be helped right now. So I want all peoples, pour out your heart to Him. Pour it out to Him. Tell Him your deepest woes, all of your hurts, all your depression, all your anxiety, everything that is flustering you. Pour your heart out. Why? Because God is. Not God might be. Not God possibly could be. But God is the refuge. For who? For us. For us. Be alone with God. Pray the Psalms. Pray the Proverbs. Commune with the God of heaven. Pray in agreement with this Psalm. Just pray this Psalm until you're helped. Hey, I'm just be honest with you. I don't know. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. So be it. But I don't think that we access God rightly and believingly. I mean, that's why there's so many Christians that are caught up in psychotropic drugs and all the helps of the counseling of the world because they have not legitimately got on their knees alone before God and prayed like this. But if you would do like this, you might find help. Is it here? These things are realities, but I think we hear them, we've read them, but we've never applied them. So here you are, you're in a situation, we just make something up off the fly, and, and you, you got a dad you love and you care about, he's diagnosed with terminal cancer, it's inoperable, and you're going to lose your dad you're such a close with, and your, your heart's hurting, and you come here and you pray this, and as you pray this, the Lord helps you. He lifts you up, and he carries you through one of the darkest hours of your life. And you look back and you go, My God is able. 
Amen. Many, many other situations, all of them can take in that way. Last, lastly, precious proclamation, verses 9 through 12. Last part, verses 9 and 10. All of mankind, if you wrap 9 and 10 together, apply them simply to humanity. Because that's what they're in reference to. All men are a delusion. Men of low degree are but a breath. No importance, no influence, no wisdom. Men of high estate are a delusion. Men of status are a lie. Men of power are a lie. Men of means are a lie. You ever wondered why homeless people lie? The same reason Joe Biden lies. They're delusion. It's an illusion. They're just, at the end of the day, nothing more than men. Oh, to be fair, Trump lies too, right? All men are liars at the end of the day. Let God be true and every man a liar. You can't put trust in men. I mean, can you get any more graphic? You get the scales. On one side, you have all of humanity for all of time, and they're lighter than a breath. On the other side, you have God. Right? I mean, that's the picture he presents. He said, you look at nations and kings and authorities and powers, and God says, yeah, they're about as heavy as air. Why do we spend so much time listening? Why do we spend so much time getting the news and the info and everything that's going on in the world and what they say and they say? I mean, does anybody in this room watch football? And then you've got to watch 18,000 hours of commentators telling you what the game's going to be, and then it don't work out like they say, because they're all liars. They're brain dead. They have no idea. They have empty heads of air. Look to God who actually knows something. Lighter than a breath. Why trust them? Why to look to help for them? Why entertain their feeble attempts to comfort my soul? I need something more than man. Declaration in verse 11 and 12. God possesses. He says, once God has spoken, twice I've heard this. Now commentators spill lots of ink over trying to take whatever this means. I'm just taking it this way. God spoke once, and there's two things David's learned. Two things that David's learned. What are the two things he's learned? Number one, all power belongs to God. Number two, he's all loving. Steadfast mercy. It's a Hebrew word, hased, merciful, all mercy. What do you do with psalms and teaching like this? I can tell you what you do. Jeff Crago knows this. You go over to Dallas and you go to the hospital. And there's a little boy Grayson in the hospital room. There he is. Here comes Dr. Swift. Here comes the anesthesiologist, and here come the nurses. And Grayson's laughing, and we're coloring and playing and having a good time. Everything's going good. Grayson knows what's going on. He's been here before. And he says, here comes the doctor. Here comes the anesthesiologist. His phrase is like, are you ready? Any more questions? He knows what's happening. Six-hour surgery's coming. All these things are unfolding. And all of a sudden, Grayson's going from being happy and bouncing around to kind of like not really moving a lot. He feels the weight of it. And you take this, and you look at little Grayson, you grab a hold of his hand, and you say, Grayson, this is what we know. I don't know nothing about Dr. Swift. I don't know nothing about this anesthesiologist. I don't know nothing about these nurses. But this is what we know. God has all power. And God can do anything he wants with Dr. Swift and with this anesthesiologist and with these nurses. And you know what else, Grayson? He loves you.
because he has steadfast mercy. So the God with all power loves you, Grayson, and you can trust him. That's the way we apply this stuff. Not just for Grayson, for me, for you, for any other situation in. I want to come here and take all my doubts and throw them away and say, this is what I know. God's not only able, but he loves me enough to do it. I want to come here and find my relief and find all of my comfort. There's not any obstacle that you can face that is greater than the power of God. And as we learned from John 16 last week, the Father himself loves you. Learn to wait upon him. Learn to be subject to him. And know that whatever God ordains in your life is right. The mark of genuine Christianity is that when life gets tough, the Christian draws near to God. Nearer, my God, to thee. This is my earnest plea. Lastly, a determination there in verse 12. In verse 12, for you will render to a man according to his work. And I say to you, consider once again Matthew Henry when he says, If he were not a God of power, there are sinners that would be too great to be punished. And if he were not a God of mercy, there are services that would be too worthless to be rewarded. But he is all power and he is all love. Well, I don't know if we can do it, Tony, but I think... Melanchthon, we ought to sing the 46th Psalm, which would be page 656. Yeah, that's what I think. That's what I think, is we should just sing that, because I don't know what else to say. So you come. Sorry, Kevin, I switched on us. I am the worship leader. All right.